Hello everyone, and welcome to Rest Easy, a show about navigating ambition, work, and rest in our busy lives. I'm your host, Jimena Venguechea. Today I'm going to share the first of several conversations with authors, illustrators, and creators about what it means to rest today. My first guest is Jake Knapp. Jake spent a decade at Google and Google Ventures where he created something called the Design Sprint. And basically what it is, it's this very straightforward, super helpful five-day formula for testing new ideas and solving design and business problems. And the idea is that you have a single work week to do this. You start on a Monday outlining your question and by Friday you have tested and learned and you have a really good sense of direction for what to do next. And it's really not an exaggeration to say that this process, this design sprint method has shaped many of the products that you know and love and probably use today. So Jake actually wrote a book about this process called Sprint, which became a New York Times bestselling book. So you can take a look at that. He's also the author of a book called Make Time, which is a time management book that helps you focus on the stuff that really matters in life. Beyond that, he's coached teams at places like Slack and Lego, IDEO, and NASA on design strategy and time management. He's been a guest instructor at MIT and the Harvard Business School. He's done tons of stuff, but more than his resume, Jake is one of those rare hybrid types. He's a systems thinker, a creative maker, and a humble, empathetic human being all baked into one. And I wanted to learn how his specific, unique way of thinking informs his relationship to rest, both in his work and in his everyday world. And because so much of his work as a designer and writer stems from this deep interest in problem solving, I started by asking him where that interest came from. I just always trace it back to this software on the Mac called HyperCard that when I was a kid, my mom was a teacher, a high school teacher at the the local school, and she would always have um, an Apple computer because in the 80s, like that was like a big thing, like Apple computers and education just went hand in hand. And and so we, we had an Apple computer and I would play games on it all the time. And then at some point we got a Mac and and then the Mac came with this software called HyperCard and you could make your own basically applications with it. But it was it was easier than than that sounds. You know, there was a little bit of coding, but it was a very plain language kind of coding. And um, and there was a little bit of like a visual interface, you could put buttons and things and and anyway, I just fell in love with this thing and had been playing games on the computer and was like, well, now I can make my own games. This is really great. And I, I really kind of trace a lot of this stuff back to the just, I mean, hundreds of hours, probably thousands of hours that I spent. I mean, it's just in hindsight, I think about like being a kid and, you know, should have been doing something like outside or with, with other people or something. But, you know, just like ex- exploring this stuff and, and trying to make things. And that really shaped my brain. Or maybe I was already going to be into that kind of thing in some form, and that was just the perfect tool at the perfect time. But but that, I think, is where the the joy and excitement, like when, I, when it's working right, I feel like I did then when I was 10 or 11 or 12 years old doing that. Like it's the same 
it's like the same feeling in my in my chest and like the same sort of light in my heart. What did you think you would be when you grew up? I think typical kid stuff. Like I wanted to be play wide receiver for the Seattle Seahawks and I wanted to, you know, be an inventor and um, I wanted to be a writer. And those are the kind of things that like stood out in my mind. It's funny, it never occurred to me that I would want to like make video games professionally um, or or make software professionally. I just never, like for some reason, I just never put those two things together. Those were, those were people who like, I just didn't, it was just opaque to me, like how that happened, even though you could, I could kind of see how you do it, but just like really doing it for real just felt, seems super opaque. And I, I don't know how differently I would have approached college, for example, or my career, if I had actually thought that was a thing I could do. It just didn't occur to me until much, much later that, oh yeah, real people do that thing. You know, those mm-hmm. don't just sort of, those software doesn't just sort of magically appear. I mean, in many respects, you, you obviously did become a writer, but also you did become an inventor in the sense that you invented this sprint method, this five-day <laughs> yeah. method to problem solve and test out ideas that is totally ubiquitous now in Silicon Valley. I mean, I've been part of many sprints in, in my career, and I, I think anybody who has worked at certainly some of the major tech companies um, has seen your invention in action, has been has been part <laughs> of it. Um, and, you know, we've kind of talked a few times, I know you've got another project that you're working on that is sort of this a process, another kind of invention yeah, that yeah. you're putting together yeah. um, as well. So it, it seems like it has... It hasn't made its way into your career, even if it's not as clear of a label as, you right. know. Uh, yeah, I was picturing something with gears, you know, when I was when I was imagining it as a kid, I just really thought there'd be gears involved, cogs, uh-huh. you know. <laughs> but yeah, you're that's a that's a very um, that's a very nice way to put it. And I appreciate that. I, I suppose <laughs> I suppose. Yeah. Seen through a certain lens. Yeah. I want to talk about your your last book for a minute. Make time. Yeah. Yeah. Um, which is really about, you know, making time for the things that matter and kind of finding ways to prioritize. Um, And it made me wonder if there was something that you were not making time for that kind of was the impetus behind writing that book. Oh, well, I'm always not making time for things (laughs) that I, that I want to be. And I, I, um, I'm always reluctant to, it, as much as I'm reluctant to, to try to describe what I do to people, I'm equally reluctant to tell anyone that I wrote a book about time management. Uh, you know, that it makes me cringe even now saying it because it's like, here are the ways that that I and we, my co-author and I, try to deal with this thing that we haven't really figured out. I guess, okay, look, the root of make time, the root of that approach, and even the root of the design sprint and any kind of thing it's like it's it's mortality it's like Mm. being keenly feeling keenly that that life is really short and that a lot of what happens is um is a distraction and uh and takes away from from being in life and that sometimes uh, extreme measures or some kind of measures are required to bring attention back to life. And I, I mean, I think work is 
is a really meaningful part of life. And so with full sincerity, I think the design sprint or, you know, the foundation sprint, this new kind of sprint processes we're working on, those are also about putting attention back on life and, and um, trying to make the most of it. And, and make time is also about that. It's about times when time is flying past because I'm, I'm distracted by things that I've, I've, I'm making choices that, that don't make sense. I'm just trying to identify where, where do I want my attention to be? Where, where are the opportunities where I can actually do that? And, and what are the, what are the changes I can make that might, that might help? And I'm constantly, constantly, constantly like fighting that, that battle to be alive in my life and to, to not be just reacting to, you know, the stimuli of the internet or the whatever's going on in life. And you can never avoid that 100%, but that's the truth, I guess, about where that comes from. That that truth of, you know, the, the sort of weight of mortality and trying to push against all this other stuff and, and be alive in some way. Um, is it like a low hum in the background or like a cloud following you everywhere all the time? Or is it more... A lightning strike or you know suddenly the volume gets turned up and you go oh right that again <laughs> like how does that yeah. is, are there feel? moments yeah. are there specific moments where you feel it and you go okay yeah. no, now i need to you know now now is now i really need to take this seriously and yeah. this is why i'm putting it out there or is this just i guess um like a way of a way of seeing the world and it's kind of always with you it's yeah it's both it's it's both those things it's a low hum and it's lightning strikes and like, and I think this is, I imagine that everyone feels this way, but I don't know if that's like a fundamental, you know, um, cognitive bias that we all have. <laughs> like we think other people think the same way we do or whatever, but there are things that happen in life where you just smack me in the face. And I know smack other people in the face. And you're just like, you knock you in your tracks. Like you, you have a brush with death yourself or you, um, you have a, a loved one who who gets ill or uh, dies or you you notice your kids growing up or you notice that there you you can't be a, a part of all of the the parts of their life that you you know you might have hoped you could and you have to really be there for the ones you can and i, I maybe it the hum that that you know after the first time i kind of noticed this uh, I was in I was in high school and I I had a kind of a, a near death experience. I was playing basketball actually about things and like almost almost was killed. And the what, what? Um, how does that work? Yeah, yeah okay. So I so I I, I have so many this. like pictures in my head now that I know they're not real. So. Yeah, no, they're not. No, yeah. I realized even as I was saying it, I was like, this isn't a very well put. Uh, summary of that event, which I was trying to just kind of gloss over. Um, yeah, so I grew up on this this little island in Washington State, and uh, it's I, it's where I live now. We we moved back here a few years ago, but um, there's no hospital on the island, so that's a important like background thing. I was playing basketball in high school. I took a really freaky fall, like a just like really weird, very hard fall, and landed on my side. Um, and like broke my wrist and all of the attention, sort of the medical attention was on, I broke my wrist. Mm -hmm. And then what no one sort of realized was I had also ruptured my spleen. And so like slowly I was bleeding internally and then 
many hours later, all of a sudden I'm like, like passing out and like, mm-hmm. you know, um, sort of losing my vision and stuff. And so you have to get flown off the island in a helicopter if you have a serious thing going on. And so they, they did and they operated and so I was just like minutes from bleeding to death by the time mm-hmm. everything actually got sort of figured out and, and dealt with. And, uh, you know, you're 16 years old. Like, I certainly felt like I was immortal. I, I mean, you know, I, 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 uh, I didn't have a concept, I guess, you know, of, of like life actually ending. That's for old people are actually like different, a different species, you know? And so that was, uh, that, that was kind of, I feel like the start of this feeling. And then there are, you know, the kinds of things that happen to people, uh, you know, um, it happened to me every few years afterwards that remind you of this, but that hum, the background hum, maybe it's louder for me. I don't know, but I do, I do think of it a lot. I do, I do kind of, um, think a lot about about like oh man time's time's passing like uh this is this is precious this is special um don't don't stop noticing it Mm -hmm. yeah i can imagine i mean that sounds scary (laughs) there's there's the sense of being you know a teenager and feeling like you're immortal but also I, i can imagine that probably you were receiving some messages from other people of like, Hey, that was really close. Like, you know, that was, yeah. that was scary for all of us. And so you're yeah. kind of balancing those two. And, um, like that would be an important part of how you see the world, having that experience. Obviously this is something that's very present for you throughout all of your work and, and specifically in, in your last book, was there one takeaway or something that you felt like, ah, this is the one that I need to really, you know, this is the way that I'm going to really make this moment count or this life count? I think it's the, it's the simplest thing, I guess, is just that, um, and I didn't think of this when I was 16, when this happened. I mean, when I was 16 and that happened, I was just like, it's like you said, like, not only to be so, I mean, I was, I was afterwards, I was like very weakened. Like I had lost all this blood and they had, you know, it's like, I had to, it was like a long recovery. And so to just be suddenly weakened and ill, like as it would be for anyone, I was like, whoa, what this is, this is not like my normal, this is not the, like the experience I've had before what happened. And then to see the faces of like my mom, my dad, like just like, you know, they were like, like you could tell they had been freaked out and like putting mm-hmm. all that together. But I think that, I think maybe having having kids was probably the thing that started to turn that hum into something that was a little bit more concrete. And when my my older son he was he was a baby, and I went to I we, like my wife and I had saved up so that I could take as long a leave as possible because at, where I was working you could I could take like a little bit longer paternal leave. It just it was unpaid, so I I did that like as long as as um, I could and. So I was home for a, a long time, like 12 weeks. And then when I went back to work, it was just really stark being back at work. And I, I was like, oh, I'm missing those moments with him, with, with my baby son. And, and like his life's going on while I'm here. And like, I better not just sit around today and, you know, get distracted by the news or just work on this thing that doesn't matter or spend the whole day in my email. I mean, I still would do those things and I still do those things today, but it's like 
it just hurt in a different way. When I noticed it happening, it hurt. I was like, ah, I'm missing something. I want to really be in this job. If I'm here, I'm doing this. I want to really be here. And then when I was home, because I could see that was constrained, it's like, I want to really be here. And it didn't mean I suddenly had, I'm still figuring out how you actually do that. But that was the, that was the, the pain that I, I, I felt and that I still feel. It's like when it seems like I'm, I'm missing out on what's happening now. And this is a, this is a gift to have every moment. It's a gift. There was no guarantee that I would, that I would exist at all, that I would be here today, that I would be here with this person who's really special to me, whatever, like it's really special. So I, I have to keep trying to invent to use that like kind of framework. I have to keep trying to design and invent and try to solve that problem. How do I, how do I be here and make the most of this? Mm-hmm. You were mentioning your, your mom earlier was a teacher. Um, what did your dad do? He was a, a, a lawyer. He, he was, when I was a kid, he um, worked in the county government. He was the prosecuting attorney. And he, uh, it's kind of funny, he, he moved up to this to this small town and, and the job was vacant. And somebody was trying to recruit him because here's this sort of lawyer who's just moved into town. They're like, hey, we need somebody to do this work. And it's, it's mostly enforcing like these, these, uh, land use and development laws because it's kind of a rural area and they were trying to preserve some of it and he was he did not want to do criminal law and so he looked up in the sort of county register like you know what kind of crimes had happened in this county and there he there hadn't been a murder in like a hundred years or something so he's like okay good yeah sure i'll do it and there ended up being like three murders during the time he was here and it's a small county so the the prosecutor is also the coroner and i grew up with him having like very interesting stories like very very uh very, very like wild um true crime sort of stories at, at the dinner table and then he uh yeah he, he sort of did a, a variety of things in the law and like in sort of the county government for the for the rest of his life what did you learn about work and ambition from your parents both of them loved their work and both of them were really connected to the people who they worked with. And also for my dad, there was this big theme of moving to this island where he had been working in the city and and it was really clear that moving to the island was not a good career move for him. Like it, you know, it had sort of, uh, it, however you measure success as an attorney in the city, if you were kind of in that framework of like, what does it look like to be successful in this career, in this place? He had taken the off ramp from that. And so the decision was, this is like the kind of, the kind of life that he wanted to, to lead. He had grown up with uh, uncles who were farmers and he grew up in the city, but he would visit them every weekend. And he wanted to be a farmer when he grew up, but his dad, who was a lawyer, like made him be a lawyer. And he, he when we moved up here, he, he was able to do that. Like he, you know, we lived on this small farm. Every day he would come home and then he would be out mending fences or 
whatever doing stuff on the on the farm and and he was always talking to me about the importance of being outside being in the real world and it was just obvious like that was where you know he the the other work really mattered to him too and he would i think he was like all in on it but then he would also he would come home and he would be all in on his the rest of his life so um so i guess it's just and i think a lot of people are like this i don't think this you know i i, I certainly think my parents are very special but uh but i guess the notion of like i saw them doing things that they that they cared about making choices that weren't necessarily about prestige or money but um just trying to be trying to be all in on everything that they did and and making those kinds of of choices and you know that's I, I that's the example i'm most inspired by and and have tried to do myself it's actually really really hard to do it's it, it yeah it looked sort of easy from the outside but I, I find it's actually quite hard to know how to do that when we come back jake and i get into his rest ethic and how his work as a systems thinker has shaped his approach to not working hi friends if you're enjoying these conversations about rest i think you'll love my new book rest easy Discover calm and abundance through the radical power of rest. In it, I explore how we got to this place of chronic stress and overwhelm and what we can do about it. Getting the rest we need shouldn't be complicated, yet so many of us struggle with it. That's why the book is filled with rest practices for you to try and see what sticks and works for you. Head on over to jimenavenguachea.com slash rest easy or you can pick up the book wherever books are sold. How how would you describe your relationship to rest today? Well, I've been thinking about that in the lead up to our conversation mm-hmm. because I I knew we would talk about it. And I'm eagerly awaiting your book because I need help with this. This is not an easy topic for me. As I suspect it's not easy for a lot of people. I don't have a systematic way of approaching rest. And I don't know if one needs a systematic way of approaching rest, but I like having systematic ways to do things. So I, I am I am actually, yes, that was one of the things I was gonna ask you is you seem to be uh, like a systems thinker. So I wondered if you did have yeah. some kind of system for for resting. Well, I guess it's not totally accurate to say that I that I don't. Here's the way I think about it in my life. Okay, so I do these, I still do design sprints and these other kinds of formats of sprints. That's still a lot of like my, a certain part of my work life, like the the investor part, I guess, or the consultant advisor part. The the business, business Jake does sprints. And the way that I think about rest in terms of that is that when I, I am doing a sprint with a team of people, I am all in on doing that thing. I'm like 100% that's what's going on. The, you know, for however many hours per day, for however many days in a row, or even weeks sometimes that thing lasts, that's gets all the focus. And, um, and then when I'm not doing that, like I, I do like the minimal amount I can in that, in, in that sort of realm. Like I'm not, I, I'm, I'm going to, avoid every meeting I can possibly avoid. I'm going to let my email sit as long as I can possibly let it sit to the point where like I'm 
you know, not just rude, but like reckless. Like I just want to stop just short of reckless with my email if I, if I can, because I get so, I'll get so obsessed with, I like meetings. I like email, but like, to me, those things are, they're not, they're, they're the enemy of like life moments. So I have to, I have to let them rest. So I think about trying to be really, really focused and do the things that's the, that are the most high value and then resting in between and trying to put my attention elsewhere so that I can recharge so that when I'm in those, those sprints, I am at my greatest energy. I can give the most to the team. I can get the best result. And that, that then I'm, you know, when I'm not doing it, I'm, I'm trying to do something else and trying to, to rest that, that part of my brain, um, and, and replenish the energy that it takes to do that. So there's that. Do you have a decompression ritual or something? I just imagine, you know, public speaking takes a lot of energy. You're performing, you're essentially performing, right? Right. You're, you're putting on a show and your workshops are interactive. So you're putting on the show and you're guiding people. Those are pretty high energy activities. And you're talking about how you, you kind of are shoring up a lot of energy for them. Um, is there a crash afterwards? Is there a sort of like recovery ritual? Is there something you do afterwards to, to, to replenish? I should have one. You know, what really happens <laughs> realistically is I start working again. I'm just doing something else. And so um, I, yeah, as you said, said that, as you were talking, I was like, I need a thing like that. <laughs> like I, I had a, I had a thing that I used to do. There was a time like right before COVID and like after the, the, the first book and the second book had come out and I was doing a lot of public speaking. I would travel and do a talk and, or teach a workshop or something. And afterwards, I really love, I love public speaking and, and I, um, and I'm, I'm kind of wired afterwards and I, you know, it's really fun. And then I, I would like get maybe to the airport or something if I was traveling and I would just be like, it would hit me like how tired I was. And then I would get like, I would always get like a milkshake if I could at the airport. I was like, that's sort of like part of the ritual of like the end of this. And then I would, for a long period of time, and I, I still do this when I'm really wiped out, I'll watch like 15 minutes of Mad Max Fury Road, which I've, you know, I've, I've probably seen that movie like just <laughs> a lot, like a lot of times. But it's just, I, I love it. It's just like really, it just really sort of like takes like, I don't know, just sort of resets my brain in a way. And then, and then often after that, I would, you know, maybe I would, I would, I would write, I would like work on something totally different, like write fiction Mm -hmm. or something. Um, Just kind of that, that sort of reset, but it's not, none of that stuff is very well thought through. It was like, I would be so tired that those were just the things that would sound good, like a milkshake and like Mad Max. (laughs) Like it's not, it's not actually, it's a, it's an under examined part of, of my uh, life is actually thinking about how how to do this properly. Can you think of the last time where you felt like really truly rested? Yeah, I, I think I was thinking about this, and there's there's like a a micro version, and then like a a, a big version. Um, I guess it should be micro and macro, um, but the the small version is that at the end of each sprint day, there's like a theme and they're very intentionally, there's like a theme for each day of a design sprint or the other sprints that we do. There's like, I always have like a theme for the day. And I do that because I want to, 
I want the team to feel like, look, here's what we're going to try to accomplish today. And then at the end of the day, we'll be done with that thing. And I'm not, but selfishly, I'm also doing it for myself. There's this concept that uh, I have felt a lot. And then I've read one of Cal Newport's books, I think Deep Work probably. And he's, he mentioned this and I was like, oh yeah, that's, that's a great way to describe it. And it's, I think he calls it attention residue. It's just some kind of like mental like residue of like this thing that you know doesn't quite doesn't quite get done. Your head's still worrying over it. David Allen calls it like open loops or unfinished loops. Anyway, it's mm-hmm. it's a thing that happens at the end of many work days when it's like, well, I didn't complete everything. I'm gonna have to come back to this when I work tomorrow or next time, and so it's still in my head. And checking email is like a really great way to create a ton of attention residue mm-hmm. because all these, you know, or reading the news, like all these things are sort of like create residue that sticks and then it's just an unpleasant feeling and takes away from the ability to, to focus and to rest. So a, a big deal I had found early on with these sprints is, oh man, I can craft the day so that at the end we're done with a thing and you can really be done at the end of the mm-hmm. day. Like you can just stop. And that's became a big concept both in the sprints and in make time, the idea of a highlight and like, I'm going to choose one thing today that's the most important thing. And then when I'm done with that, I know that like I've, there may be other things that happen that I need to do in the day. There's always more things, but like the most important thing, I can feel a sense of satisfaction and a sense of release and letting go because that thing, that thing that I wanted to pay attention to or whatever, it happened. And so that anyway, on a small level, when those things happen. So if I just think back to like the last time I was in a sprint, the end of the day, there's always this feeling that I love of like, yes, we got, okay, we got that thing done. Like it's not hanging, it's not unfinished. It's like, it's great. And on a bigger level, the I, last summer, I, for sort of a, a variety of reasons, I, I made this decision that I was gonna put this, this big writing project I was working on, on pause. Um, and basically we like my wife was ill and one of my sons was was ill and i i was trying to kind of pick up the slack and everything and do my work and just try to fit everything in and i realized like my younger son was like kind of getting the the short end of the stick from everyone like no everyone was either ill or i was just like trying to balance everything and i wasn't really I, it's not like i was being like a terrible father or anything but i just i just wasn't really like giving as much to him as I'd like to. And, and he was on summer break and didn't really have like much going on. And he's the kind of kid who will just like come up with his own projects and do things, which is great. But I thought, you know, if I'm really going to write this summer, I'm going to be like doing my other work and then pouring every available bit of attention into this writing. That's the way I've, I've got to do it right now. And, and I, I just occurred to me, like, it, it doesn't matter. Like just pause it for the summer. Like don't, do that, do the other work that you have to do. But like every time, if he wants to go to the lake, like take him to the lake, stop what you're doing. Like if, if you can, if you can afford to do that, if you can make it work, there's going to be some kind of cost to it, but it's a cost that like, if luckily enough, like I can, I can bear, like it'll, it'll have a, a cost to the work side of, of the world, but it'll, it'll have this. It's something that I've, I'm, I didn't think I'd ever want to trade back those those times with him and so last summer i just spent like a a a lot of time with him and 
I just remember so many times being like sitting at the lake while he was swimming or like playing, you know, building a Lego set with him or reading to him or we were working on a whatever, like a graphic novel together, whatever. Like just these moments where I was just like, like when I just look back on those, they're like golden and I felt really like at peace. And, mm. um, and, and, you know, that was, that was probably the, that's probably the best example I can think of. Yeah. It's interesting because, you know, the, the micro version of rest feels tied to accomplishment in some way, right? It's like, I yeah, did the you're thing. Right. You're right. Now I can yeah. relax. Um, you know, once I, once I cross that off the list or once it feels tidy, once it's kind of wrapped in about, okay, we're done. And then the sort of macro version feels like you're deliberately just setting all of that aside and it's not contingent on getting something done. In fact, it's contingent on not getting something done and actively making that choice of, I'm not going to, I'm not going to take that on. I'm just going to focus on, focus on resting. So there's a kind of an interesting set of relationships happening there. Yeah, it was, I think, I hadn't thought about it that way. Uh, in the, the accomplishment version has probably been the way I've been thinking about it for my entire life. And so the, the, the last summer version was a, it was, a, it was very uncomfortable for me to, to do that, to say like, I'm, um, I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to stop this project that's important to me that like, just to, to not do it, like to, just to, it, with, with no like specific alternative, like to, like to think about doing that again, it's like, that's really hard, but it, um, but ultimately like much more meaningful. Yeah. When you're not kind of actively pursuing these moments of rest, um, as all of us, I'm sure you have gotten to a point where you've maybe overexerted yourself or overdone it or approached something like burnout. Yeah. And I wonder if you have a sort of like a rest emergency break. Do you have a like, get out of jail, a get out of burnout free card or something? Do you have a thing that you go, uh oh, like I can see this is approaching. I can feel it's approaching or, or maybe you're already in it and you go, okay, I need to, you know, ring the bell, get out of here. Do you have something that kind of pulls you back? My my acute emergency thing is Mad Max. I'm watching Mad mm -hmm. Max on my phone. Like I'll, uh, there are times when I am like really burned out from whatever, and I'll like, I, you know, there's always so much going on in our house. So I'll just like go into the bedroom and like, like just like watch Mad Max on my phone for ten. I don't know what the, I don't know. This is like the the dumbest thing, but like ten minutes of that really does. It must be some kind of like dopamine thing or something. But I like I'll feel like a little bit. My, my head will feel a little better, but I do think part of it is just, it's it, it, the saturation of visual stuff is like also kind of feels like it takes my head out of, uh, whatever I've been doing. Like, it's just kind of, it's, it's an escape obviously, mm -hmm. but it's just one that's like a really small dose of it will like kind of take me out of, of, um, whatever. But the other thing for me, I guess, is just like being, getting outside and, um, we, we, I've found over the like last few years, last decade or so, there's just like really important for me to be in the forest if possible <laughs> and, mm -hmm. and to make that a part of my, you know, daily routine if possible. Like we lived near um, Golden Gate Park in San Francisco and I'd often go, I'd go like every day for a run and just like run in the woods there. And then uh, here on the island, we live near a forest and I'll 
to go in the in the forest and um it's like i've listened i remember the lesson of my dad which is like to do something with my hands in the real world like chopping wood or like something it's again i think it's like kind of visceral thing that just sort of takes the shocks the body a little bit out of um out of just being like a head that's that's sort of um you know going from meeting to meeting yeah chopping wood is also it's a repetitive activity that requires concentration and focus like you can't be totally stewing on something else it sort of forces you to be present for safety purposes (laughs) but it's also repetitive and there's a rhythm to it and there are these kind of procedural activities that can either clear things out or let the mind wander in in a different way so yeah yeah i was i recently have been trying to not listen to music or podcasts like try to see like can i make it through the whole day without without doing that it sounds very like a very no that sounds so hard to to try to get over but (laughs) it was very hard i had really gotten into i've had been through a stretch of like just a couple of tough years with what was what was going on in life in general and i had gotten really into listening to podcasts and i at some point i realized like this is really helpful to me. Like this, this is a, a way it's an escape, but it's also anesthesia. It's like, mm. it's, mm-hmm. it's, it's like filling everything with somebody else's voice, somebody else's thing. And it's the music or whatever the, the stories or whatever's going on. It's all to just like make it so I don't have to think like it's to give me a break, but it's like not a good, it's not a refreshing break. You know, it's just like a, it's like a, it's just like a bandaid, kind of thing it's not a, a cure and um and i remembered that one of the principles i mean it's in make times one of the ideas is like to to um to not use headphones to not you know to not listen to something all the time and so i've been i've been trying to do that the last couple of weeks and it has been it has been remarkable and it gets to the idea of like the repetitive thing you know whether it's the 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 walking or you know or driving or um running whatever the 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 time when i would you know cleaning the kitchen whatever it is it's like letting the that part of the mind is occupied with that thing and then part of the mind is free in a way Mm -hmm. that it's not when when taking in somebody else's stuff and that's that's been actually really i've been shocked by it was like it's been helpful for me in with my writing because it familiarizes me with the discomfort of of boredom and quiet and like you have to be comfortable with boredom in order to write because writing is like a lot more uh, like staring and f- having to sit with things than if you're doing email or there's no you know there's another person involved i can't believe it, you'd say that it's, it's so thrilling all the time <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> there are thrilling moments <laughs> yeah to close out our conversation I invite Jake to answer a few final rest questions. Lightning round style. What keeps you up at night? (laughs) Like usually it's like stress with my extended family. Mm. (laughs) Not not my, just in case my, my wife and sons are listening to this. Uh, It's not you guys. Um, (laughs) I guess the more, the answer to like, what keeps me up at night in the sense of like, what am I, what am I sort of wrestling with as a, for myself is, um, I, I guess I wrestle with like, am I making the right choices and where I, where I place my bets with, with my, with my time. 
Mm-hmm. Am I doing something that is makes sense? It's valuable to is am I am I being as helpful as I can to other people? Am I doing the thing that makes the most sense for 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 me? Am I making the most the, the best sort of use or, or paying the most attention I can to my life? And that's the that's the thing that I'm like the nonstop the nonstop mm-hmm. question the nonstop struggle. How about when do you feel most at ease? Hmm. One is when I'm um, when I'm running a, a sprint with a team and I'm doing, you know, it's a thing that I have done a lot. And I, I know what my role is there. It's like they come up with all the answers, all the solutions. I'm just there for the team. I want to, like, draw everything out of them. I want to make it effortless for things to come out from them. Like, mm-hmm. it, it feels right. And then the other time when I feel really at ease is, like, when I'm by myself and I, I'm somewhere, like, right now this is... I have this little office in town and I have no internet access. It's just, mm. I take my laptop there and then I just write and like, there's nothing like no, you know, no, nothing else I can do. And once I get into the writing, which might not happen right away, but like once I get into it, then I feel very at ease. Cause I'm like, I, the part of me that's an introvert, there's like definitely two parts, but like the introvert part is like, Oh God, there's like, there's nothing around. Like there's no one, no one can talk to me right now. I don't, you know, I'm just doing this thing. I'm just like purely in my head. And I think I feel both those, both those situations feel like very, very comfortable. I guess the third one is like being in the woods. Like I really also Mm -hmm. just like to be in the woods. (laughs) Yeah. What's one thing you do that feels like play? Something that really feels like play for me now is doing design work. When I get the chance, because it's rare, but like I'll design these templates in Miro, which is like right, like the, the whiteboard software. And I, I'll get into, you know, laying out, these are the templates for the sprints. So it's like, okay, here's this workspace and you, you know, you're going to put your sticky notes here and here are the instructions and like just moving the blocks of type around and moving the, the you know the lines and like picking the color palette and like but I'm just really like kind of playing with how things how things go and how they fit and that that feels like like play to me um I sometimes will do some a thing with writing where it's like try to write when I'm stuck on something try to write this in the style of somebody else Mm -hmm. like so I'll look at somebody else's work and then I'll say okay I'm gonna just try to write this next chapter or this next paragraph or whatever in that person's style And then, of course, I can't like it just becomes like a different version of like me. But that like release of like, you don't have to do this like your way, just just like taking the taking sort of the the editor away for a second and just like playing with it. That can feel really, really fun. I love it. Um, Last question. If rest were a season, what would it be? Well, for me, it would be summer. Hmm. It would be summer. I, 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 that feels like it's an obvious answer, but um, it's partly because I really associate it with the this last summer. I also can think of times when I've actually we've actually taken a vacation and I haven't been trying to combine it with something else, which is a bad habit that I have, I guess. But you know, there's this place we used to go in Ashland. This uh, you stay on this farm, and and it's and it gets like really baking hot and this is ashland oregon it's like um it, it could 
you know, it could be like 100, 110 or something. It's just like really hot. And then the feeling of like, okay, I've, I've mentally disconnected from everything. And I'm like, so th this, I think I associate it rest with warm weather. I should probably not do that because I live in a place where it's not warm all that much of the year. I need to find a way to associate rest with overcast, like 40 to 50 degrees. But, um, but uh, yeah, summer for me. How about for you? What's, what's your... I, um, this might be because I'm a winter baby, but, um, I, I think of it more in terms of colder weather. Um, okay. Like okay. the fall sweater weather when it's just like, it's kind of cool. It's kind of crisp, but it's not so cold that my extremities are like really uncomfortable. It, but it's the perfect yeah. weather to like start right. thinking about like the big stack of books that I'm going to get and I'm going to get yeah. cozy. And it's, it's, it's like, I'm starting to see like, you know starting to get excited about winter hibernating. Totally. I can totally see that. I can totally see that. I, and in fact, there's this time if, you know, as a parent, you'll know, like when, you know, when like kids going back to school in the fall becomes a, t a feeling of rest because it's like, they were in my face all summer and yeah. now they're going back to school. And like, that feels, um, and yeah, but there is that, that that darkening the the cozy feeling when thinking about create that makes always gives me like a jolt of like creative energy of like okay like yeah i don't have to worry about the outside world as much yeah i mean probably the the thing that that i should i should be trying to do is finding the restful spirit in every season right like there's uh there's uh there's a little element of it everywhere yeah. Yeah. Well, I hope you do. I hope I hope you can find a little bit of rest in every season, but also that your your summertime rest is as as good as you remember it to be, as good as it was last year. Well, thank you. I I'm really looking forward to the book. <laughs> Thanks a lot, Marina. Special thanks to my guest, Jake Knapp, for the restful conversation. If you enjoyed today's episode, drop a comment, leave a review, or share it with a friend who might enjoy it too. Stay tuned for my upcoming conversation with acclaimed illustrator Liana Fink, where we talk about rest, parenting, and feminism in a future episode. Rest Easy is a podcast hosted and executive produced by me, Jimena Vengoichan. It is story edited by Mia Lobel and produced by Paola Vengoichan. And yes, we are related. My family is multi-talented. I hope you've enjoyed this episode. You can subscribe to my newsletter at humena.substack.com for more episodes and writing from yours truly. Bye for now.